It's Monday night at 10 o'clock, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is the show for folks who aren't afraid to call a terrorist a terrorist, especially when that terrorist is Lex Luthor. Tonight, <laughs> not funny, but eh. uh, so tonight, tonight we've got a... I laugh. I appreciate it. Um, the ah, Totally throw it off. All right. Uh, so tonight's the first of the year. First of the year, we like to do our best of looking back at the year that was in comics and geekdom. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad to be talking about comics again. Um, to any people who have just started listening to our podcast, because you guys are hooked on our Jessica Jones podcast called Jonesing for Jessica, um, the other thing that Brett and I do, and in fact, the thing we've been doing for years, actually, is talking about comics. Um, we have this weekly podcast where we talk about comics from sort of a political, feminist, progressive lens. And um, this is an episode where we'll be talking about the best comics of the year. So uh, if you are only watching, listening to us because of Jessica Jones, this actually would be a pretty decent podcast episode about comics for you to listen to because hopefully we will give you some suggestions of cool comics that you might want to check out and read, even if you haven't been following comics. And for our long-standing comics fans, you will be excited to know that we are talking about comics on this issue. Yay! Yay! It seems like it's been forever. Um, it really it has. Absolutely, literally has been forever. Uh, We've been just Jessica got... Jones for like two months. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, that, that, that's a bad thing, but oh, my God, has it been a while, and we have like a month to go. Um, yeah. We're almost there. Uh, you've got some really cool categories, uh, way more fun than the somewhat serious ones I do on the website. Uh, for those, for folks who want to check those out, you can go to graphicpolicy.com and there's, uh, in the carousel, there's Brett's picks and, which is me, and, uh, one of our other contributors, Alex, has, uh, his picks, uh, much more kind of straightforward, not the fun ones like Alana has put together. Um, we've got a lot to go through, so we might as well dive in and... Start discussing right away. Um, yeah. So you have got an interesting one. It's actually kind of, I really like this uh, uh, category. You've got most ambitious experiment. Yeah. When I began writing this list of the best comics of the year, literally the first thing that came to mind and that I wrote down was most ambitious experiment, which is Island Magazine. Um, it's originally run by Brandon Graham, and now it's co-run with Emma Rios as well. It is a comics magazine. Like, do you guys remember Heavy Metal magazine that was on all those newsstands, and it was an anthology of different comic artists? Definitely sort of adult, sci-fi, fantasy, trippy, far out. Um, while Heavy Metal may be getting a remake from the new Grant, I think Grant Morrison is taking it over, I think the yeah. real spirit of that age is actually lives on in Island Magazine, published by Image Comics. Every month is about 100 pages, which is just an incredible amount of comics. And it's an anthology, lots of different kinds of artists. It's very, like, it's, it's not superhero comics. It's, it's definitely alternative, you know, a lot of different speculative science fiction, but it doesn't feel like science fiction you'll find elsewhere. Um, just really out there, unusual stuff. And one of the things I respect about it a lot is that it has a real dedication to diversity in terms of the content and in terms of the people who are making it. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing where I look at an issue and there's everything in it is just so different and interesting. It's, it's like, 
if, if I, you know, sure, like in any given issue of 100 pages, there'll be some stories I won't like as much as others, but I bet somebody else will like those more than the ones I like. So there's just a lot of interesting content. It's unlike anything else on the stands. Um, I'm impressed that, you know, Image really knew that, you know, knows that Brandon has like a really singular vision and they're letting him go and run with it. Uh, incredibly ambitious. It's on issue seven now. And that issue looks actually like it might be the best yet. Yeah, I mean it's it's really cool to see it. I, I'm I'm kind of a fan of of um, uh, anthologies to begin with. Um, so to see this, I think is really neat. And you don't see enough anthologies, I think, on the comic market. It's a great way to get you know stuff that wouldn't necessarily maybe hold up in a uh, like it's on its own. Uh, maybe it's too risky, or mm-hmm. um, or you know you can try out things and see what actually you know, people do enjoy. Um, yeah. So I, I, uh, uh, I like it. Like, I think it's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, no disagreement really. I, you know, it's kind of, it's <laughs> a, it's a, it's a gutsy one. Um, it's a good choice. One that folks didn't tons of people check out, but it definitely got recognition out there from a lot of other folks in their best of list. So, People are cool. noticing. Glad to hear it. Glad to yeah. hear it. And 2015 was a year of a lot of experimentation. So I think people were really figuring out what worked and what did it. And 2016, I think you're going to see more of that. So, um, mm. yeah, kudos, bravo. Nice. Um, innovative development. I, I really, really like this idea, especially your pick on this one. Sure. So folks may have heard about this. Rosie Press. R-O-S-Y Press is a new comics publishing imprint founded by Janelle Aslin, who uh, is someone who is a contributed some pretty groundbreaking journalism to graphic policy. But beyond that, she is a comics editor um, and now a comics publisher. And she saw that there has been a real vacuum in the comics market for romance comics. You know, back in this, the Silver Age and earlier in the Golden Age of comics, there were tons of romance comics on the stands. Um, and, you know, right now people think of comics, they think of superhero comics, but romance has got a huge genre of a lot of people who love it when it comes to movies and when it comes to books as well. Uh, so Janela's idea was to do an anthology series of, of comics uh, that's a romance series, but it's all like really feminist and really inclusive um, and, you know, the kind of like rom- I, I'm romance is not my genre. It's like not something I go and seek out really. But I really mine. respect the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really respect the work she's doing here. It's excellent. You know, I think that this is a great gateway for folks who have never read a comic before, but who might be interested in things like um, Regency England, you know, stories. They have like some historical fiction romance stories like that. LGBTQ characters in love, you know, different, different, you know, racial makeups for the cast, body diversity, just all different kinds of diversity and just very explicitly like feminist romance stories. So if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, go in and buy it right away. And it's a, you know, woman run company funded by a Kickstarter. You can get it online or in the stores. It's, it's also very, you know, a very ambitious experiment, but I kind of think of it more as a development than an experiment. So I gave it in a different category. <laughs> uh yeah, I I I backed the the Kickstarter. I mean, when I heard about it, you know, it was kind of a no shit when it comes to backing it. Um 
it, I think it's something that is a huge gap that doesn't exist uh, in the comic industry. Um, definitely, I think they they absolutely deserve the award. There's some there's a couple other ones I thought were interesting um, that haven't quite gotten there, and there were also uh, uh, new publishers. Uh, Double Take has been doing some really interesting stuff. They were started by Take Two, the video game company. And while their books haven't really caught haven't caught on, what they've been doing different is they package like all the issues into one package. So like all the first issues were in a bundle, second issues were in a bundle, uh, which is very very different. Um, and then they are doing it so that if you sign up on their website, you can read all the issues as well. Uh, huh. Pretty gutsy thing. Yeah, like it's gutsy. So it's and, new, and, very new user friendly, basically. It sounds like a very yeah. new user friendly get into comics and very uh very open to like the new like new media and and tech so like bravo on them um one that hasn't gotten also a lot of play is 451 media which is i want to say it was started by michael bay's company and before you you grown on that one um (laughs) uh, the one thing i think that's really cool is they use the technology that was actually in the power glove of all things the old nintendo power glove um, and they've got these cards that you can put on your um, your your tablets, like your iPads, and it and it brings stuff up. Um, they have to do with the comics, so it's a very immersive uh, comic book. So it's just very interesting ideas haven't mm. quite really caught on like Rosie Press has, but it, it's something new. I I gotta you know you gotta give props to, to new ideas. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. So, Hello? Uh, yeah. Creative Team of the Year. I think this is a no shock. Is this to your choice? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> a huge fangirl of Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. They're a creative team that has been working together for years and years now. Um, but this year was a particularly, you know, banner year for their work together. Um they put out uh six issues together of the Wicked plus the Divine, which is their new ongoing creator-owned series about pop stars, but they're actually gods who are reincarnated as pop stars. And it's a meditation on celebrity and on being a young adult. And it has got beautiful, striking, easy to follow, interesting art and a diverse cast and like just a really great pop culture analysis in the comic. And their limited series um, this year is the culmination of a longer project that they began when they first connect, when they first started working together, which is uh, called Phonogram, the Immaterial Girl, uh, which is a series about people who are music fans who use music to do magic, um, except most of the magic they do is uh, about, you know, get, get making each other's lives miserable and having interpersonal drama. Um, so it's very relatable if you're a music geek or someone who grew up going to clubs and such. Um, and they're, it's also like, yeah, again, another comic that's really about growing up and does an amazing job of talking about it. Uh, and I think anybody who is an obsessive about pop culture, especially music, but it doesn't even have to be music. I think comics fans can relate to the two, uh, really needs to read Phonogram. And to have both of these books coming out this year and have them both be just really at the top of their game, um, I wanted to salute that. Uh, you know, some of the issues of the, the Wicked plus the Divine this year were done by guest artists. And the guest artists were really excellent. And I think that, you know, it was sort of the direction and planning that uh, McKelvey and Gillen did that enabled the the guest issues to feel like they were part of a whole, but also, you know, allowed them to have freedom and have a unique flavor as well. So 
I, I just wanted to give a shout out to them both and, and really strongly recommend these comics for people. I think they're um, especially the Wicked Plus the Divine is very new reader new reader friendly. Yeah, I would say the uh, Wicked Divine also had one of the uh, highest talked about individual issues, which was the thirteenth issue, and not to spoil it. Um, but compared <laughs> to, to Batman number forty four, like those two are two issues that everyone talked about. Um, yeah. The other thing that's really interesting is you don't get a lot of teams uh, nowadays in comics. There, I, I made some notes as to the folks I can think of, and I can only think of two other teams out there uh, with Palmiata and Connor and then Fraction Zadarsky, and like that's it. Mm-hmm. And even Fraction mm-hmm. Zadarsky don't do everything together. Um, Palmiata no, and don't. Connor are like the only other ones that are like pretty much on everything uh, together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, that's not always the case. But like, you just don't see, you don't see teamwork like that. So, um, the fact that they're so good is one thing, and then the fact that they're also doing what like no one else is doing is a whole other. So, mm-hmm. uh, plus they're just awesome people. They're one of those yeah, they like, really are nice folks. It's always nice that when someone's talented and also not an asshole about it. Yeah, um, agreed. <laughs> I really feel like they're the they're like the, the you know like the best. I think Kieran Gillen is like the best writer of my of my generation right now. And a little bit later, you'll get to hear a little bit about a writer who I kind of view as being one of his protégés, who I think is doing really amazing stuff and is really up and coming this year. But um, but yeah, these are enormous talents. I'm very happy yeah. to have awesome feminist men, in fact, uh, also being some of the folks who are creating this output. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, next up, we've got Best Covers. And this is one I... Covers isn't something I I paid tons of attention to, um, but the one that you've mentioned specifically, your first one, is one that actually jumps out to me and that which says something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kevin Wada is a cover artist who I'm obsessed with. Um, I kind of just want to give him all my money at every comics convention, uh, and the covers that he does for comics, they're all things I just want to buy and hang on my wall. I have actually bought comics because he did the cover for them, um, and this year, uh, if you wanted to get his co- his covers regularly, the best place to do that was by looking at Catwoman and also a series by Valiant called The Death-Defying Dr. Mirage, which I have not read but will, uh, in, in part because the covers are amazing. Um, and they're just really striking. He has a watercolor, very illustrative effect on his work. He draws beautiful people, like truly beautiful, but with character and uniqueness. He understands clothing and page composition. Um, I definitely can see like an influence of fashion illustration in his work, but they, but his stuff can like just really get you in the soul. It's not just gorgeous, although it is particularly gorgeous. Um, and he did variant covers, which are like spin, uh, specialized covers that you can only buy at the store if you get them at the right time and things like that for comics ranging from like, you know, an all ages like teen comic called Zodiac Star Force, which is great to Midnighter, which is a super violent, brutal superhero comic. Um, so he's got, you know, a whole range of genres he can cover in his style. And uh, this was just a huge year for Kevin Wada. And I don't think he's on any one ongoing cover series for the next year yet. Uh, but you'll be seeing him around, and I I hope that he will be continuing to show up everywhere. Yeah, I mean his his Catwoman covers are I think some of my favorite of the year. Um, the images really they're striking. Like I absolutely love his work and the the deathifying Doctor Mirage. Like 
Valiant's really good, and I would read Valiant anyways, but his covers are, I think, are absolutely striking. They're just beautifully haunting and fit in the interior so well. Like, out of, I think, all the series, the mm-hmm. Dr. Mirage, his style fits it so, so well. So I'm actually really excited for you to check it out because I think you'll cool. you'll dig it. Cool. Yeah, I think um, it's very good. Oh, and then yeah. my other – oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I was about to say, and you've got another one. My other, yes, my other favorite cover artist this year is Stephanie Hans. Um, basically, if there is a comic that's published by Marvel and there is a character with the name of Angela in the title of the cover of that comic, then she is the cover artist on that comic. And you should certainly buy it because it's a good comic, but also because those color covers are freaking stunning. Um, she did a couple guest covers for the Wicked Plus the Divine as well, which are truly beautiful. She's a painter. Um, her art is all very, is painted um, she uses color in a really unique way, and uh, I just think she's unmistakable. Like, once you see her work, you'll always know it. She's also a complete sweetheart as well, um, and um, has been doing a lot of work also just using traditional mediums rather than digital. And it can, I think it shows a lot that this is, you know, hand-painted work. Um, she has a painting a cover for 1602 Witch Hunter Angela, which looks like a Renaissance portrait. Like, it's... It, like to pull that off is a real feat. So wanted to applaud her. Yeah, yeah, and it should be no uh, shock that you've also included Stephanie on Best Interior Artist as well. Indeed. Um, so this is a bit weird because so the comics that she's worked on that I'm speaking of in particular are Angela Queen of Hell, Angela Asgard's Assassin, 1602, Witch Hunter Angela. I told you, any comic with the name Angela in the title by Marvel it also has other artists working on it whose work I don't like as much. Some of whom are good, but like Stephanie Hans is just, just amazing. Um, Jamie McKelvey, who of course I mentioned earlier, his work on Phonogram and the Wicked Plus the Divine. He had one issue of Wicked Plus the Divine that is just a remix of earlier panels from the series that they shifted around and recolored it in different ways to show a different character's analysis of it. And like to pull that off and have it not feel like a cheap trick is kind of incredible. And then Tom Neely, who does the humans, completely different from the other top, from these other artists here, um, he just has like a really brutal, lurid, um, you know, style that's, but it's very much grounded in like traditional comics art. Like he can just draw the hell out of anything in a very, in like anything. And of course, in this case, the anything happens to be like violent humanoid, uh, you know, biker chimps uh, beating each other up and doing drugs and stuff. Um, but like just an amazing draftsman and inker and, and, and his, and his art is like really impressive. Um, I think that it reminds me of the kind of quality you used to get regularly in comics and don't really see that kind of craftsmanship anymore for lack of a better word. Yeah. I, I for me, uh, 2015 stands out, not necessarily for interior, not, uh, about one person. I mean, the, the three that you mentioned are all wonderful and the stuff they've done is the fact that they're so like much variation as to what's going out there, not mm-hmm. just in indie books, but also the majors. Um, this was like a, a year that Marvel and DC were willing to try some different styles uh, on some pretty high profile books, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome to see. So, it, you know, it, it really, there's art for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. For, for a nice change. Uh, a very nice change of pace. Um, the next 
Oprah Award that you've got going is Best Limited Series. So I that's for me that was Phonogram, the Immaterial Girl, which I spoke about <laughs> earlier. I would say again, like you probably want to check out the earlier Phonogram books before getting into this one, though. But uh, yeah, I every issue, my heart is in my throat, and I'm ecstatic and flailing around like a mad woman. Do you have one for yourself? Oh, I was actually just about to bring you up, and um, yeah, so here we go. Um, the best limited. Um, well, Death Defying Dr. Mirage, I think, is definitely up there. Uh, one that you should check out. Um, the one uh, one that I thought was it's been fun every single issue is the Paybacks by Dark Horse. Um, mm-hmm. It is basically uh, a group of superheroes that are, are a repo team. They have to get back the items that have been um, sold to superheroes who aren't making their payments for them. So imagine, like, <laughs> Batman basically has defaulted on all his cool gadgets. Well, someone needs to go get it. Uh, and that's the Paybacks. And it's just a goofy series that, like, it, it knows it's goofy, it has fun, and somehow it's kind of like a serious superhero series at the same time. Um, just a lot, a lot of fun. And then the other, because I just love the genre, is Lady Killer, which was also done by yeah. Dark Horse, which uh-huh. was a housewife who was a contract killer. Um, and it's done in the 50s, so it's like that Mad Men-ish, or it was 50s, 60s, 50s-ish, around there, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Mad Men sort of style of the suburban housewife, and then she just disappears every so often and kills people um, because she's been contracted to do it. So it, I think both were played with tropes and, and stereotypical, stereotypical stuff a lot. So um, hmm. Two I really, really enjoyed. And cool, Dr. I heard good things about that. Yeah, um, yeah. We've talked about a bunch. Mm-hmm. First That's issue. first issue of a new yeah, series. Not a shocker on this one. Not a shocker. <laughs> so, Monstrous uh, by Marjorie Liu and artist Sana Takeda. Sana Takeda, who, by the way, should be on the best artist list as well. Uh, <laughs> that one issue came out, it was just like a, two months ago, this jumbo issue of this amazing dark fantasy story that was unlike anything I'd seen anywhere else. And everybody was just floored by it. I mean, it could have been my best comic of the year list if there was more than two issues of it out so far, you know, I, it could, I suspect it might be best comic of 2016, frankly. Um, but just this first issue just knocked everyone's socks off with like a, an all like female dominated world, of like beautiful art deco, like kind of punk art. There's like no white people, which is amazing and wonderful and refreshing to see watercolor art, women who are like witches and monsters and they're fighting in like a mythological Asia. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, This one I think is for anyone that knows us should not be shocked that this was our choice as to uh, the, the best series. Um, I, it blew my mind. It's a, I think it's a fantastic um, new series. It's really, really cool. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, can't, can't, you know. Marjorie Liu was on our, our show like a month ago, and, I you know, just listen to that. You can hear us gush and praise it. Like, it's, it's really cool. It's not something that we've seen before, um, at least in Western comics and even manga. There's nothing that I can really think of that compares to it. Uh, can't wait to see it. Yeah, and it's one of those, like, I don't like calling series best, you know, best of when they've had, like, two issues out. Uh, yeah. 
this easily can can top it if they can keep up uh, the series in in 2016. Yep, absolutely. And then the other number one issue that I just had a bit of a explosion the second I read it because I loved it so much. Um, my runner-up is All New Wolverine number one, which was incredibly unexpected for me. I didn't expect to have strong feelings about it particularly. And I read it, and instead it's really got a place on my shelves. Um, it's one of the Marvel comics I'm most obsessed with right now. Uh, I actually ranked it later on as the best all-new, all-different Marvel comic. Um, for folks who don't know, the new Wolverine is teenage uh, superheroine Laura Kinney, who is a clone of the original Wolverine. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about how great it is to have this new explosion of female protagonists and comics, but a lot of them are really kind of aimed at like an all ages crowd and the characters are, you know, which is good. Cause like, you know, we need those as well, but actually this is interesting. Both monstrous and all new Wolverine are great examples of comics that have complex, dark, interesting female leads. Um, and all new Wolverine, she's definitely someone on the heroic side of things, but she's struggling with a really messed up past and it's, you know, very new reader friendly comic. If you are interested in a female superhero title that is not for kids, I definitely check out all new Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, this is one I disagree with you with not, you know, it's not a bad book. It didn't quite catch me as the way it did with you. Um, it, you know, she's a character I've kind of followed a little bit back in the NYX days um, I think my big issue with the the series was it has it's it's hasn't yet explored her really messed up side yet, and I think that's was an issue in all new X Men when she was in it too, where they touched upon it, but she's really damaged, um, and she seems to have her shit together a little bit too much for my taste. Uh, but maybe they'll explore it more like as the series goes on. It would be nice to see a, like a nice complex. I guess she's a teenager. Yeah, she's like an older teenager, I think. Yeah, like late teens. Yeah. So um, the one I would say that with an all-new, which I was going to put in my all-new as well, that it's the first issue that really surprised me, was uh, The Vision from Marvel. Uh, hmm. all, all different. Uh, it's Tom King's writing it, who's doing amazing work and a whole bunch of other stuff for DC. Um, and it's basically like The Vision living in the suburbs of DC with this other family, it's very weird and not what I expected at all. Um, and it's so one it's I kind of which is the ro- the robot from um, from, from Avengers. the second Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got like this other robot family. It's it's strange. Like there's this really like weird Stepford thing going on. Plus it's just fun <laughs> it being it in in DC uh, to see what he does with it. Um, but that one really surprised me. Uh, and and Marvel had, like clearly wants people to look at it for those that missed the first issue when it came out like a month or two ago, probably two months ago. Uh, it's being reprinted in uh, Spidey Deadpool, which is out this week. So you get two issues for one. I uh, cool. pick that up. So like, there's that. Her good things. Yeah. Well, we're so checking com- out. So comics art, I created yes. a category specifically for best two page spreads. Um, because frequently people ask, like, why would I bother buying anything in print anymore? And lots of times there's no reason to buy comics in print. You could just read it digitally. 
But some comics just handle way better that way on print. And one of the main reasons why are two-page spreads, which is when you open up a comic and there's like images going across both pages. And I just don't feel like it works as good on digital. So I wanted to give a special shout out to some amazing interior artists whose work keep me buying floppy comics at the store because it's that good. Um, my first is Silver Surfer, uh, penciler Mike Alred, the colorist Lee Alred. These are, this is a creative crew uh, artist who have been around since I was like, I think in high school or something, but they're yeah. completely on fire. Like, I, you know, I really respect like how interesting and dynamic their work still is, even though it continues to be very much specifically in a specific art style. It's very cartoony and retro looking and you will always recognize it on site. But they were doing things with Silver Surfer that were really just interesting on the page. They had a, a, one page that was a Mobius strip that you had to turn around to follow the story. Um, and Silver Surfer, the comic itself, was like good, not amazing. But because of the art, I had to buy it. The art was that good. Um, and I think if you like some really far out, fun, creative, cartoony art, you, you have a bit of a yen for 60s looking stylings, um, then Silver Surfer with their art is a, way, is a, is a must have purchase. Um, then we have the humans, um, which uh, is that biker apes um, comic, exploitation sort of comic that we, I really love. Um, the, it's, these two-page spreads can sometimes be really lurid psychedelic Mandelas, and sometimes they just say, fucking boom across them in amazing written-out letters. Um, the, this, I've like looked at the trade paperback, and I've looked at the floppies, and the floppies are so much better. Maybe the second trade will have a better binding, but for the art, you got to just get this comic and look it out. It's really far out. Hey, and interesting then, that and the then, trade and the floppies mm-hmm. are a big difference. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> the binding. And your final one. Uh, yeah, oh, well, yes. yeah. Sandman Overture. So I haven't been cra- crazy with the Sandman relaunch or like the Sandman pre, pre- prequel that uh, Neil Gaiman has been doing. Um, but the artist on that, J.H. Williams and, co- and colorist David Stort, it's just stunning and beautiful. So if you liked Sandman, you know, the Sandman we all loved and read, and you're the kind of person who can like something just for the art alone, then you would want to see this. Uh, but it's really quite striking art. Yeah, I'm totally with you on the Sandman. Uh, that's one that has made a lot of various lists for folks, and I'm pretty convinced it's for the art alone. Yeah, um, it, is. it really is. Yeah, the art is completely stunning. I was not a fan of the series at all. Um, I just hated it for so many wow. reasons. I it was just boring, and it just felt like one of I, I could go on and rant on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the art is one that you could go and pick up the issues and just stare at and just look at the art alone, uh, which says a lot. And there's very few comics that sit there and be like, forget reading it, just stare at the art. Uh, this would be one I would do um, and have no issue telling you that. So absolutely check <laughs> it out. Just stunning, absolutely stunning. And, there, and there's a graphic novel version out of it. Um, it came out like a month ago. So you can get yeah. it all in one package to uh, check it out. Um, next up is for you is webcomics. That's something I generally read. So totally trusting you on this one. Okay. Well, the best single webcomic, I think, is something you, thing you probably caught, which is Lighten Up by Ron Wimberly. 
uh, he's been a guest on the podcast before. Um, he was doing something for the Nib, which was an online comics publishing platform um, that Matt Boris put together. And he did a comic about the time he was doing art for Marvel Comics, and they asked him to lighten the skin color of a biracial character to make her look whiter, basically. Mm-hmm. And Ron Wimberly is an African-American artist, and he pushed back. And it's sort of a look at the importance and significance of how people's skin color is portrayed in comics and in art and what it all signifies. I think it's very informative about how race is approached in comics. And um, if you're interested in learning more about comics art and if you want an interesting perspective on racism, I think it's a really great read. And it's short, and it's free, and it's online. And if you just Google Lighten Up by Ron Wimberly, you will find it. I am posting it up on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, it says something. I don't really read web comics. I read this like web comic. Um, I, 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 it's. I, I think it was that good and that important that um, you know, it, it's something I know. Let's let's put a go with that. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, and we're about to tweet it up. So for those who want to check it out, you can go to graphicpolicy.com on Twitter and and check it out and find out why it's so awesome. Um, going from web comic to web comic series, definitely one I'm totally. That's all you. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually don't read a ton of web comics either, to be honest. But I'm ecstatic about Bashback, or as the full title is called, Bashback: Colon, A Story of the Queer Mafia. Uh, I found out about it at um, FlameCon uh, this year, and it is a web comic about a crew of LGBTQ. Um, badasses basically who live in New York and help out um, homeless and struggling LGBTQ teenagers. Um, So it's like, it's sort of like a fantasy. I think that everyone who's from, uh, you know, a marginalized community probably has at some point, which is that everyone else who is from, you know, your orientation or your culture or from your race or whatever like, what if we all had each other's backs and we were all on the same team and we were all going to stand up for each other? Um, and then it puts it in a, uh, a, a you know, a, a, it's like a fairly realistic tough guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like superheroes. There's nobody wearing capes or anything like that. But it's like if there was like real people, you would call for help and they would fight, help you fight back. Um, and it's really creative concept very emotionally gratifying and the art is really beautiful and they are going to be our guests on the podcast on January 25th. Beat me to that. Um, (laughs) And who's going to be joining us? Uh, So next funniest comics. Comics can be fun and don't have to be all tights and superheroes. Uh, You've got a whole bunch and I think every single one is a really, really solid choice. Thanks. This list was way longer than I thought it would be. (laughs) Um, I, my number one, my, my number one choice was Captera by Chip Zdarsky and Kagan McLeod. Now, everybody who reads about comics talks about how Chip Zdarsky is really funny and really everybody loves his work on Sex Criminals and Howard the Duck. His best work, if you ask me, is Captera, which is a series that he writes. It's um, scandalously hilarious, sword and sorcery, science fiction in space. Uh, our hero is is a... Um, Indian American scientist nerd, and he's kind of like looks exactly like Ahmed from Community, um, but he's actually more deliberately funny and snarky. And he gets they all get shipwrecked in space in a world that kind of looks like something from a He-Man comics. Um, 
the whole sensibility of the comic is like very queer, which is funny because I'm not sure if anybody actually on the comic is, but it's got this amazing, like over the top campy sensibility and it's just hilarious all the time. Um, both the art is funny and the dialogue and there's a helper robot that is creepy and I don't want to spoil the jokes, but there's a robot that has inspirational messages on it that are always wildly inappropriate. Um, yeah, Captera is something you should go read. K-A-P-T-A-R-A. Really love it. Um, and then my honorable mentions are Jughead, which is also by Chips Darsky, art by Erica Henderson. Um, I didn't grow up reading Archie titles. Uh, the, all the new Archie revamps are really funny, but Jughead, I think, is the funniest. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that, I guess, later. Um, 1602 Witch Hunter Angela by Marguerite Bennett and Karen Gillen. Um, the the, most of the Angela comics weren't specifically comedies, but the jokes in their Secret Wars story, which was the 1602 Witch Hunter one, were really funny. Like, I, the lawyer joke in one of the issues, I sent it to all the lawyers that I know. And they all were like, yeah, that's freaking hilarious. Um, and then Archie versus Predator. Mm-hmm. You heard it. <laughs> Archie versus Predator uh, from Alex DeCampi, former cast of ours, uh, Fernando Ruiz. So in it, we have Archie versus the Predator. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not just funny because of the concept. The whole execution is really funny, but yeah. And then Princeless, Raven the Pirate Princess, writer Jeff- Jeremy Whitley and art by Rosie Higgins and Ted Brandt. So this is like, a, an, all, this is like a, a, it's an all-ages comic, although I think it mostly be of interest to people who are tweens or older. But they have the hiring hall scene with an amazing callback to not all men That is something that I think every working woman is going to relate with and laugh at, and it just nails it. Um, Probably want to pin this off up in your cubicle in times of need. So, like, yes, this is an amazing feminist comic that your kids will laugh and enjoy. You will also laugh at and enjoy this, too, if you are a working woman, I assure you. So, what do you think? Yes. Um, I I think Jughead is, is hilarious. I'm really liking Archie's relaunch as a whole. Um, out of the two, Jughead's way funnier. I, I think Zdarsky is hilarious in his writing. Um, anything he does, I, I think, has been entertaining. Um, Archie's ver- Archie versus Predator. Um, I thought it was funny. The the interesting was, um, I liked it more because it was really poking fun at Predator films and all of like the the same things that go on in every single Predator fu- film, except it like tweaked it just a little bit. Um. Raven Private uh, Pirate Princess, absolutely. The one that actually I think is one of the funniest scenes out of any comic that also had a hell of a message is We Can Never Go Home uh, by Matthew Rosenberg. There's a Oh yeah with when she tries on all the outfits. And it's like mm-hmm. two pages of the of the female character who has superpowers. Uh it's basically like these two punk kids. She's not really a punk, but he's definitely one. Uh, have superpowers and kind of go on the uh, on the lamb. Um, and there's a scene of them trying to like figure out costumes, and she's like, "I don't know what I'm going to wear." And it's just of her trying on all these different outfits. So like everything from you know Red Sonia to Wonder Woman to like basically think about going to Target and trying on like uh, Halloween costumes. And that's kind of what the scene is, and it's really really funny. And a similar scene was done in Princess out of everything and, and played well mm-hmm. there too. Uh, but I, I think, you know, 
the series as a whole wasn't funny, but that those like two pages I think were were just absolutely spot on and had me laughing a hell of a lot. Yeah, they were very funny. Even though Jeremy Whitley's crew did do it first. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, you you got a category Bessie DC comic. I I want to say before we actually talk about some of them, I think out of all the publishers, while while DC is not necessarily like the best publisher out there, out of all of them that have uh, improved, if there was like a most improved award. To me, it absolutely goes to DC Comics. Um, they took a line where there was a handful of books that I cared about, and I think really, um, you know, in a gutsy way, like revamped their line and are putting out some of the most interesting books out there, or superheroes wise, um, by you know a publisher. So you know, bravo to them for for willing to really shake things up. And while their mm-hmm. sales may not have been great in what folks were looking for um and the big list uh that i've been compiling of every best you know of list of 2015 uh they're pretty much neck and neck with marvel so uh while the sales might not be there i think the the accolades are there so you know kudos to them and hopefully they uh they don't go backwards in 2016 though i fear that's what's going to happen oh man yeah, I really hope that DC moves in this direction. I was very upset with how the new 52 relaunch went, and I've been very happy to see them just become much more diverse this year in terms of the different kinds of artists that you see and the different kinds of genres that their comics are in now. It's much more diverse offerings for different kinds of audiences. It's really much better. So, Yeah, and there, so, and there really is something for everyone. There's all kinds of different characters, and there's different voices behind those characters and styles. So um, people have been talking about this is what they want in comics for a really long time. Well, someone actually delivered, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So my best DC comic of the year, and I actually wanted it to be like the superhero comic of the year, but it's not a superhero, really. It's just a comic published by DC Comics is Constantine, the Hellblazer. Um, the creators on that are James Tinian IV and Ming Doyle, and the artist usually is Riley Rossimo, though they've had different awesome guest artists as well. Um, it is one of the comics I anticipate most every month. He is a exorcist and supernatural detective with a very dry sense of humor. Um, he gets by on charm and charm alone in a great many of situations. He's a character that I really enjoy spending time with, and I'm very glad I don't know in real life because he would probably ruin my life and he would be the first person <laughs> to admit this to you. Um, he, uh, and the, yeah, the comic is charming and dark and funny all at the same time. It has a very raw emotional core at the heart of something, which is otherwise very fanciful and funny in a lot of different ways. And um, I had never really read the original Constantine comics or Hellblazer series. So if you haven't read them either, that's totally okay. You can just start reading Constantine the Hellblazer from issue one. You don't need the earlier context to enjoy it or appreciate it. And I also want to give a shout out that there is a bisexual writer writing a bisexual superhero or a bisexual hero character, anti-hero, however you want to put it. Um, and, you know, a lot of the diversity we've had at the publishers has been, you know, really good diverse characters, but it hasn't necessarily been mirrored by being written by diverse creators. So that was really good to see. Here, here. Um, yeah, Cassidy is definitely on my list of one of my favorite DC ones. So, 
Um, and for a lot of the reasons you you've said, I mean, he's I think really interested and interesting and humorous and broken and um, you know it seems every issue they kind of add a layer to it, which I think mm. is very rare in comics. Uh, plus that was that that first issue that had that awesome like descending into hell, um, yeah, cool art page. Or the so spe- speaking of like cool double spreads, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that, that uh, was. Yeah, good, great series overall. It absolutely would be on my list for DC. My runner's up um, in no particular order. Actually, I'll do them in alphabetical order so that it truly <laughs> feels that way. Our Black Canary, um, which is uh, Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu, because it is about time that Dinah has a band, um, and her band is grand. It, uh, she, this is a, a superhero character who I've loved for a long time and hasn't really had a good title to her name in, like, forever, basically, uh, it's a you know it's a comic about a rock band on the run and just that's the kind of thing that you enjoy and many of us who grew up with Beatles movies and things like that definitely enjoy rock bands on the run the kind of stories um, then you'll want to check this out and so it's a very cool female cast in the book as well um, Catwoman uh, the run that that they completed a the a, a, a complete arc that was Genevieve Valentine's run on Catwoman. Um, and that's really what I'm pointing to here. She did, I think it was like 12 issues. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I should have this in my notes. Um, it was uh, Catwoman serving as a crime boss, um, basically serving as a crime boss to try to reduce the amount of violent crime in Gotham City. I had never considered that as a story before because she's, you know, usually just seen as a, as a thief. Um, but in this, she's, you know, negotiating intergang politics and a lot of female-female relationships. And the art is a beautiful, um, you know, the way the costuming of the characters is done is really a huge part of, of the storytelling in a way that I don't really see in any other comic at that level. Um, we interviewed writer Genevieve Valentine on the podcast, actually. You should go check it out and listen to it. But it had a, the complete feeling of like a story that has a beginning, middle, and end within Catwoman. Like it's a complete story, a complete tale that she got to tell in full, a very satisfying ending. And you don't really get to have that a lot in comics. Um, And then Gotham Academy, which is also on my best kids comics list, which you'll see. Um, It's also a book where like the artist who's been on it, Carl Keschel, uh, the writers are, um, I forgot to say, Becky Cloonan and uh, Brendan Fletcher. So he's on this list twice up here. Um, uh, It's kids at essentially Hogwarts, except in the Batman mythology. Uh, you don't need to know anything about Batman to appreciate it, though. I think any anybody who's a fan of Harry Potter will get into this comic. I'm also not even a fan of Harry Potter, but <laughs> it's um, a lot of fun. Nice, diverse, believable crew of kids. Really well-written, charming art. Yeah, I think it's all an example of like how diverse DC really is, is the fact that... Um, you know, each of those series are so different from each other. Um, mm-hmm. I add on there some of my other favorite ones are, you know, obviously Cyborg. I've, I've been loving. Yeah, um, Cyborg. I think good. it's a, a great take on the character. The Omega, uh, Omega Men, which is by Tom King, um, who also did the vision that I talked about earlier, is um, kind of a you know revolution in space. Um, his perspectives, I think, really, really cool. And actually, some of the most striking covers, I think, out of everyone, I, I just love those covers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and the ones that you've you've mentioned yourself, I mean, it, it's, I think it's awesome where a you know 
the beginning of last year, I probably could have named a half dozen DC books I would put in front of someone and say, check these out. Uh, nowadays, I can list off a dozen easily off the top of my head of just fantastic series to check out um, that are really, really solid and, uh, uh, you know, folks can't go wrong. I mean, We Are Robin, I think, is really good. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the company's really turned themselves around. Uh, as far as what they're putting out there. Uh, and in a company that I think actually did the exact opposite <laughs> is uh, uh-huh. Marvel. We have the best all-new, all-different Marvel, um, which is going to be really short for me. <laughs> but yeah. You go. I really felt like Marvel was going to, you know, Marvel Comics relaunched, and they said they were going to be all-new, all-different. Uh, I had assumed that was because they wanted to appeal to new readers and new audiences. I don't really see that. A lot of Marvel is all the same. Um, and one of those exceptions is all new Wolverine, which I mentioned earlier. It really is a new take on a character, a new kind of you know female hero character. And I just think it's the best book Marvel is doing that's not like, you know, like Ms. Marvel is wonderful, but you all already know to read that. I don't need to tell you that. Squirrel Girl is great. You already know that. All new Wolverine is the new book that you need to check out from Tom Taylor, David Lopez, and David Navarrete. And runners-up are Weird World, which is only on issue one, actually, so I kind of felt weird including it. But um, with the artist Mike Del Mundo, who did work on Electra and whose stuff is amazing, I have faith. Uh, the writer is Sam Humphreys. I, I suspect it'll continue to be very good. And it is another example of all new, all different. It's a, you know, it's like a Latina teenager trekking, trying to take her mom's ashes back to Mexico. Some crazy storm happens. She ends up into like a, you know, like a fantasy world. It's like a sword and sandal Conan the Barbarian on drugs kind of a fantasy world. Um, it's really striking. And then um, <laughs> any comics before or after the relaunch with Angela's name, as I said, uh, by Marguerite Bennett and various other writers, but especially Stephanie Hans on the art. Um, those are probably not as new reader, beginner friendly as some of the others, but they're still pretty new reader friendly because they don't really connect to too many other Marvel comics and certainly having a transgender lesbian uh, as the narrator of the recent series is huge, um, you know, and woman of color and like, you know, the main two, I'll talk about the couple in the lead in just a little bit, but, but yeah, that's my Marvel. What about you? Um, the vision I mentioned before, um, I, I really enjoy when it comes to all new, all different. I think that really uh, fits the, you know, that saying, Weird World, completely agree with you. We've only seen one issue, but the first issue was really, really good. I think the art was fantastic. Um, it, it's a solid, solid choice. Um, I'm trying to think. Other than that, like, nothing really jumps out at me, which is sad. Um, it, for the title, All New, All Different, it doesn't really feel all new, all different. It feels mm-hmm. like a whole lot of the same um, especially when you get into the team books. Um, and I think a lot of the series have yeah. promise and a lot of I- good ideas that have not been executed as well as they should be, even though some of them are only into maybe their second or third issue. Uh, you should still be seeing some of the execution ideas coming out um, from from the series. that, And we're just not. like a, I think a great example of that is Squadron Supreme, which has like these 
super powerful beings from different worlds kind of doing their own Avengers team, and they're much more um, uh, violent about solving things in their first issue. Not a, you know, really a spoiler because it's all over the place now as they kill Namor um, because he <gasps> destroyed one of their planets. They killed Namor? Really, I don't think he's dead. And when is anyone really dead in comics? No one's ever really dead in comics. He's just too beautiful yeah. to die. But, but continue, continue. Um, and the, and the, you had this amazing concept of talking about you know preemptive strikes and and um, you know retaliation in um, for in um, in similar. Um, I try, I'm trying to think of the proper term uh, when you re, the the escalate like when you retaliate based off of like the proper. Um, scale. Um, there's a proper term for it. I'm totally blanking on it and it's driving me nuts. Uh, and then basically these people commit genocide and you're like, holy shit, like this really is up the stakes. And then the second issue is like this totally opposite of like them just chilling, you know, like uh, in either their base talking or in a like coffee shop. And it's like, wait, what? You set, yeah, you just like set up genocide, regicide, um, preemptive war, like, this is, the, like, the right-wing superhero team, which could be a fascinating idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, the second issue, it just doesn't explore at all. And maybe we'll see it in the third or fourth, but you should have seen something in the second issue yeah. talking about it, and there's just nothing. So, like, it, it, a lot of it seems like we give it and take it away. Like, hey, the first issue's got all this promise, and then the second issue doesn't, or the first issue has, like, no promise at all, and... I don't know. I, it, to me, it's a mess, and I expect Marvel to to be losing some uh, some uh, sales share over the next year. But I'm sure they'll be double and triple shipping to to try to keep that share up. Uh, I mean, the two why... comics that like people really love and that are continuing to be good are like from before the relaunch are the two that are the least changed, which is Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel, which are basically yeah. the same as they always were, and how yeah. they always were was awesome. But there you go. Yeah, and, and Squirrel Girl, hell, Squirrel Girl made fun of the relaunch, was just like, hey, it's the exact same thing, but we've got a new number one. Like, there's a comment in the comment about it, uh, which is hilarious, and, you know, props to the writers for that, for, for willing to do it. And, but, yeah, it's it's right now it's a mess. It's really, really a mess. I used to really look forward to reading Marvel Comics, and um, it's not as much anymore, uh, which sucks. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Um. So, best comment for people who hate superheroes and genre fiction. So usually, when people are into superhero comics, the next thing that comes to mind are there's really great sci-fi comics and fantasy comics, and we'll get into those in a minute. But we all know somebody who just doesn't like those fantasy things either. Uh, they probably watch a lot of like high stakes TV dramas. Maybe they're into HBO. You know what I mean? They're not genre people. I have a comic for them. It's a comic for everyone else, too, but especially for people who don't think that they like that kind of thing. It's called No Mercy, writer Alex DeCampi and artist Carlos Speed McNeil, a busload of college students bound to Central America for some poorly thought out voluntourism, falls off a cliff. That's just the premise. And it only gets darker from there. Um, But it's especially so because the teens are so believable. Um, And I think that the art has a sort of, the art doesn't look like superhero comic art. The art feels a lot more human and like approachable. 
I guess. I just think that this is a comic that will be great for your friends and family who like don't like comics, don't care about comics, don't like superheroes. They think it's all stupid. Um, I know that premise sounds pretty bleak, but I assure you it is very interesting seeing the character dynamics, and um, I have no way to predict what will happen next. Uh, well, my choice is just as bleak and depressing. <laughs> uh, no Mercy is, is it's a great series. Um, I love Southern Bastards. I think that's one of the best comics uh, out right now. Um, it's by Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. Um, best described as a Southern Gothic noir series uh, mm. centered around football and like the the you know Southern um, love of football. Every single volume is different in so many different ways. I can't even describe it. Um, it they also had, I think, one of the strongest single issues of the year. Uh, I want to say it was also issue 13 of Southern Bastards, where you actually, you know, they actually beat a kid within an inch of his life, yet you still feel bad for one of the people who committed the crime. Um, wow. Eventually, like, you, you you see that he's caught up in everything, and um, you, you have some... Um, some sympathy for it just uh, i think fantastic series love it um next up of awesome series we talked about before is best fantasy comic yep. is uh you've got Montre- monstrous down monstrous. not be shocked yep. <laughs> do you have any uh, ads for that or no no not at all <laughs> we, we've praised it uh, nope. Oh, I mean, do you have any other picks for Best Fantasy? Oh, Best uh, No, I, I'd probably go with Monstrous as well. I, like, I really think uh, what was done in one issue as far as world building is uh, not something that any other series has done in multiple issues. So, um, mm-hmm. love it. Absolutely love it. Best Sci-Fi Comics, um, which is a tie. These are Best Sci-Fi Comics, which I think will also particularly speak to our politically-minded listeners, which are many. Um, I think that it might have something to do with the fact that science fiction is particularly good at talking about political things. But uh, these are Bitch Planet from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentin DeLorando and Concrete Park um, by Tony Pruyer and Erica Alexander. Um, I have not read volume one of Concrete Park. I have only read volume two. I'm going to read volume one. The fact that I was able to read volume one and I'd never seen volume two, I think – Sorry, the fact that I loved Volume Two and I had never even seen Volume One, I think, speaks to how accessible it is. Um, but so, Bitch Planet, you've probably heard of because it's been a huge phenomenon. It's um, women who are rebellious in any way or different from what the patriarchy wants in any way are sent to a prison planet in space. Um, it's very like sharp pointed analysis of sexism and racism prison system and everything that we deal with in the real world but as science fiction it's really good and interesting um and then concrete park is is oh golly it's hard to describe but it's also takes place people on their way to a prison planet it's a dystopian future world um with different rival gangs trying to survive on a prison planet um and it's like very like it's like very like African American like centered group, but then there also are like African people and there's people from Central America. Um, so it's a cool sort of science fiction story that again like does not have white people in the center of it in the slightest, and definitely had interesting both Bitch Planet and Concrete Park have interesting science fiction concepts and motifs that I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, 
the, the world building is, is interesting and unique and they share my politics. So what's not to like? Yes. Um, yeah, I think both are, are really solid picks. I want to throw in this uh, Descender by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Nguyen? I always Nguyen. mispronounce those Nguyen. words. Yeah. Um, I always feel bad when I butcher those last names. Uh, Very good artist. It's like Smith, and I butcher it. Um, it's so common <laughs> of the last name. Uh, so the series is basically – it's a hard one to describe – uh, basically, there is this mysterious, uh, like a federation of planets, um, this mysterious robot race, like attack them at one point. They're not quite sure what's up, but they're pretty sure the robots will come back. Um, they went on like this big robot purge because of that. Uh, and then there's this small robot named Tim who is um, abandoned on a planet um, that kind of this guy who created these robots like they need to go get it's it's really trippy the art is beautiful um it's really really just one of those haunting sci-fi series it's really good love it um love every single issue um i think it's it's fantastic um next up you've got is best horror mm-hmm. um part of the anthology series grindhouse doors open at midnight um, this year, Volume 3 and 4 were released there by Alex DeCampi and the artists are R.M. Guerra, Afua Richardson, and Chris Pearson, and Nolan Woodard. Um, and it's like a horror movie, B-movie, slasher film kind of a feeling on some of the books. Others are more like exploitation film and lighthearted. So, I mean, it's an anthology series, but I definitely think that the best horror stuff I read, It's, I mean, it's Grindhouse, right? Um, really fun, dark humor when it wants to be disturbing good shit yeah um a horror that one i really like is a series called southern cross done by image comics um oh yeah Be- even... Be- Be- becky clunan yeah it's Be- right? becky clunan's yeah her art is um, amazing yeah really cool art the how, like it reminds me a lot of the movie event horizon for some reason and it's not like that's not what the thing is because Event Horizon, while like weird and creepy, just sucked as a horror movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so this one is like a, a girl is on her way to Saturn on this like big giant ship that looks like it came out of I can't even think of the anime, but it, the ship looks a lot like an anime ship. Um, and her sister like disappeared, and no one really knows what the hell happened to her. So it's this mystery of what happened in the series, but all this weird shit is going on because of like warp drive of the ship and it's it's creepy it's one that if it was done as a live action horror film i would be tense the entire time um really really enjoyed it like it's solid solid uh uh comic series you should check it out if you if you like horror um, that artist is really fantastic so yeah yeah really really cool series i like i can't wait for the next volume because the ending like left me with like what the fuck's going on uh feel Kind of like Event Horizon, but it's a mm. thing. Uh, so next we've got Best Damn, That's Brutal Moments. So the second I saw this, I knew this was going to be on a list, and I'd have to get a specific kind of award. It's in Midnighter, number one, uh, writer Steve Orlando with artist at ACO, or maybe it's ACO. I'm actually not sure. I, and Fah- I Fahardo Jr. It is ECHO. That is the last time I wasn't I, sure. I think. Uh, and Fajardo Jr. Um, Midnighter punches a ribeye steak through a guy's head. He is staked with a stake. Uh, 
Midnighter is like a dark, gleeful Batman who's also gay. Um, and this is just very much in keeping with the feel of the title. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened in a DC comic that's brutal and amazing. Um, and then the other holy fuck that's brutal moment I had was in The Humans, number four, he and Marshall Keller and Tom Neely, drugged ape-like humans kept us slaves battled to the death. But actually pretty much every issue of that comic would rank in terms of creative brutality and fight scenes that are bloodbaths because that comic is pretty intense that way. But that particular uh, fight scene is just extra brutal and involves things getting ripped out of things and, you know, trigger warning, my friends. So. Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm going to have to, you know, yes, both of those are brutal, especially I love that Midnighter scene. Um, the I have to throw out that the Southern Bastards. I'm pretty sure it's issue 13 of this brutal beating that goes on. It actually occurs in the first volume, and then they kind of go back to it in, in issue 13. Um, and it's one of those things that is just a beating that's slightly over the top, but at the same time so realistic, and it's just uh-huh. it's heartbreaking. It's they they basically beat up like the dorky kid in oh, the school. No. I, I don't um, think I could take that. I can't take yeah, that. Exactly, and I think that's what part of like, what makes it so brutal. Um, mm-hmm. It's a heart wrenching issue as a whole. Like as I said, you, you actually feel bad for one of the, the attackers by the end. Wow. Um, and interesting, the the issue actually isn't written by Jason Aaron's. Jason Latour took that particular issue and wrote it. So it's a hmm. um, awesome writer artist who's also a writer uh, series. So um, yeah. Uh, we've got most well-intentioned guy who's being a dick. Uh, my joke is, isn't that male comic fans in general? Um, well, I don't think that they're mostly well-intentioned. Right? <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think a lot of them are. They actually, think they but are. But I wasn't quite ready to say most. So, um, so yeah, the award for being a dick uh, goes to Dick Grayson. You may know him as Batman's former sidekick, Robin. Uh, now he is, anyway. Yeah, so in his solo title called Grayson, he goes and gets like the teenage kids who are trying to be Robin arrested, quote, for their own safety, which, quote, which includes getting all of these African-American teenagers, Latino teenagers arrested. And this happens in a comic like right after we've had a year full of incredibly disturbing stories of the police shooting or beating up. African-American kids while arresting them or in any sort of interaction with them. So the idea that him getting these characters arrested to keep them safe is just like, I want to say it's like a huge white privilege idiot moment, but I'm actually not sure if Grayson is considered white in this comic. It's like a confusing story, but, um, but definitely his privilege here, like, you know, is completely blinding because what he did is incredibly reckless. I wrote about it on the site. I urge folks to check it out. And then on, on a later note of Dick being a dick, but also I think illustrative of Dick being a dick, he totally crashes Barbara Gordon's best friend's wedding. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just really irresponsible. I think it's interesting to have a character who we like and who is a hero, like being a dick. I think both in, in Batgirl, like it's clear that the writer is saying like, dude, what he's doing is completely not okay. In Grayson, we don't know yet what the writer's take is on it, and I'm curious to see. But, I, you know, I think, I think the creative teams on both of these books are, are, are good ones, and I'm, I'm going to keep an eye to see what happens next. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, 
you know, both are really good examples. And yeah, I, I think the other thing that's fascinating about Dick Grayson um, in 2015 of how much of like a heartthrob sex symbol he's become. Always. Um, so I, it's one of those like I, maybe it's just because the internet really didn't exist like way yeah. back in the day. Um, but it really to like this was the year I really noticed how much uh, people were loving Dick. I had to yeah, say. no, that's totally true. I mean, I think that the fandom has always sort of had, especially like the female and like gay male, like, I mean, like a lot of people in the fandom have just had a lot of fondness for Dick Grayson in general. There's an interesting article, I forgot who wrote it, that sort of looks at the phenomena. But I feel like the, the DC comics themselves are acknowledging it more now. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in the past, it was just sort of fans talking about it. Now the publisher is like, wait, you're saying that you like attractive men? Huh. Let's see what uh, again, we can do with that. <laughs> it's Tom King playing with it. Like I know he got some mm-hmm. flack for some of the stuff he did with it, but I think everything he's done in his mind has been tongue in cheek and you know winking and and um, no malice. Anything that is done, he's having fun with it. He's really trying yeah. to play with it. Um, mm-hmm. And well, and, yeah, well deserved. Yeah, it's it, you know it's a kind of like a bravo. It's one of those like you're you're giving fan service. It's really cool. It's a great yeah. I to the point I wish I did an audio board because I'd be so playing Cartman's Beefcake, Beefcake Screaming uh, <laughs> for this category. Uh, next, Aww. we got awesome two, two Butch and Tomboy characters. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot more diversity now than there has been in terms of characters of different sexual orientations. But even with that, there haven't been that many female characters whether they're straight or gay or, or anything, who are for more masculine self-presentation. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with comics artists being men and they'd like to draw women who look the way they want women to look. Uh, but this year there have been a number of big improvements and I wanted to give a special shout out to some awesome tomboys and uh, butch characters in comics like Katie King of Princess, Raven the Pirate Princess. Prince Less, as in without a prince, <laughs> Raven the Pirate Princess. Um, who is based on the actress who plays Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones, but is not depressive at all. <laughs> um, Mac from Paper Girls, um, who, uh, I, God, I don't even want to get sidetracked on that. She said something really offensive in the first issue of the comic, but I think it's actually part of her character arc because I think she's being written as implicitly queer and will hopefully that slur will be something that is addressed as it's the character is something- explored kids say i like oh exactly the whole thing was a scene right out of my childhood yeah exactly. i also think I, like, it was like so something but and like it, it was something which is specifically i feel like relevant to her character yeah. and her own identity as i think will probably be like you know a, a queer girl um but mac is amazing um santa strand who is a brand new character invented um for uh, battle world runaways i saw her and i thought is this Marvel comic have a young woman wearing with short hair and a necktie with like huge ripped arms? Like this is, this isn't a Marvel comic. I wonder where she came from. And I searched and I searched, she was invented for this comic because Noelle Stevenson, of course, like who is an awesome like lesbian artist created her in, cause there hadn't been somebody like her explicitly in the comics. And that comic had like, you know, various like uh, lesbian and bisexual female characters in it. But they were mostly, you know, on the girlier end of things in terms of their their gender presentation. So it was cool to also have Santa Strand appear and her awesomeness. I wanted to have a similar list for male characters who are more on the femi side. 
but there aren't any except for Inanna and the Wicked plus the Divine. So hopefully next year I will be able to talk about Awesome Boys Who Wear Pink. Yeah, definitely something that you, you don't see a whole lot, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I'm taking the word literally of Tomboy and going with the series Tomboy, which is ah. uh, Action Lab's Danger Zone. Um, so the comic is by Mia Goodwin, who was ironically the first artist for Princeless. Uh, we keep on coming back to the series. Um, so the, the series is, she's drawn like a kind of like a, you know, teenage girl anime, like how she's presented isn't a big deal, but she snaps in the, in the comic and winds up being like a violent vigilante. So imagine like this teenage girl who's in anime, um, really taking on the role of like Casey Jones in, in like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with like the hockey mask and the field hockey stick beating the shit out of people. Um, yeah, really, really interesting take. Uh, it's actually one of the most surprising series of the uh, of the year for me. Um, didn't go when didn't go in expecting anything, and it came out and was like, "Holy crap, is this good?" Uh, so definitely, people should check it out. Especially, I think because it plays with expectations very, very well. Um, so I'm gonna take it literally and just choose the series Tomboy. Cool, very cool. So. On Best New Character, I kind of had to cheat a little bit because technically speaking, she debuted in December of 2014. But I think this has been such a big year for her and that she barely existed last year. So my award goes to Sarah from Angela Asgard's Assassin, Angela Agent of Asgard, Angela Queen of Hell, various comics by Marvel starring Angela. Um, Sarah is the Gabrielle to her Xena. She is a bard and hilarious. Um, she is a transgender woman, um, dark complexion, a stout figure when she is being drawn properly, which is not always the case. And she is hilarious, and I just love her. She's the I, I have to admit, I relate to her more than I relate to, like, any other superhero character these days. Like, she's just, like, my stand and so, of course, I'm excited to have her. Um and, uh, I, yeah, it's kind of, like, rare that I identify with anybody in a comic book much. So I really appreciated that. Um, and I know that she's had a big fan base, not just by people who are like, oh, my God, it's me. Uh, but because there also are, you know, there's not enough characters who are transgender or, who are you know, dark skin, things like that. She really brings more diversity as well as a fourth wall breaking sense of humor. And I know a lot of characters more than ever before are allowed to break the fourth wall and talk to the audience, but she actually does a good job of it. She's fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I, I got to go with two that we've kind of mentioned before. Um, Tomboy with Addison, I think is really, really fascinating. I can't wait to see what they do with the series as a whole, but specifically her. Um, and we mentioned before, I think she debuted in 2015, but there might've just been a delay in it, but I'm going with Raven from Princeless. Um, oh Yeah. I think she counts as 2015. I'm not 100% sure because she debuted. Well, mine does, yours does too. <laughs> she debuted in the in the previous volume of Princeless, uh, but she got her own series in in uh, 2015, and I, you know I I loved it. Like I think it's a great spinoff. I'm slightly worried about Jeremy, you know, juggling and doing multiple series, but he's he's doing really really great uh, on both of them. So I, I can't wait. Like, I actually think I might like Raven more than the main series now. I do, uh, but that makes sense to me because I feel like Raven, and this goes into my list soon, um, Raven is skewed a little bit older and yeah. we're grown up. So chances are we're going to like the one that skews a little bit older. 
Um, yeah, yeah it's actually that. also another female character of color who um, is, uh, so far it would seem, she prefers the ladies. So I see that there's a theme now between our awesome characters. <laughs> uh, so we've got the... And she's a pirate, in case you missed Yeah, it. she's a pirate, yeah. Who's she's a pirate. trying to kick ass and get her, her booty back uh, from her brothers. <laughs> uh, so we've got best revival thing. I never cared about for now, but I do. And I totally am with you on this one. Completely, 100% with you. So I didn't grow up reading Jughead and Archie and stuff. Um, I did not pick these titles up out of nostalgia. I did out of curiosity and because they were free. Um, And holy cow, I really care about these now. The teen drama is really well done. The dialogue is believable. The humor lands when they do it. Um, They're giving me feelings. Yeah. And it's interesting because one of the things I've always loved about the group comics that I used to read, you know, growing up, like X-Men, is the soap opera-ness. And yet I never read any comics that were just soap opera. And I have to wonder, like, had there been a Jughead or Archie comic like this when I was growing up, if I would have, you know, read something other than superhero characters. Um, I'm totally with you. One, I'm blown away that, you know, Mark Wade, who's a white male in his 40s, I think, probably at this point, um, Mm is doing a like a kick-ass teenage Archie that feels like something teenagers would enjoy. Um, you know, I'm really, really shocked at how well his writing is. And then Jughead, I think, is absolutely hilarious um, with that creative team. So, you know, all that together is not... It, it's, it's one that I, I think is really solid. I've been waiting for this for a really long time. Um, Ar- you know, Archie shook things up with Afterlife with Archie, and that was like the first time I really cared about anything Archie was doing. Um, but that whole series seems to be like MIA right now. And when that mm. came out, I started like joking around, being like, "I want adult Archie. I want him doing fucked up things and like really serious stuff. Like, I want to read this." And this is kind of like the halfway point between that, and I'm very, very happy about it. Um, definitely a series to check out. It made tons of best of lists, not shocking at all. Um, you know, if the idea of Archie, like, makes you yawn, go do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, this is, like, if you don't like Archie, check this out. If you do like Archie, you probably should check it out also. But, like, you know, Brett and I are not Archie people. We just really love this. Go, go see it. Yeah, best mystery detective. The Fade Out by Ed Brubaker, who's kind of known as being the best writer of noir mysteries and stuff like that already for comics. Um, yeah. Again, I think this is, this is also, I feel like, a really good comic for non-comics readers. The art is very much feels like it's like a 1940s movie poster, painted art. Um, really beautiful. I really care about the characters, which is something that doesn't always happen to me when I'm reading a noir mystery. Uh, but, you know, blacklisted writers is something I'm more likely to... Uh, care about than other kinds of characters and um i don't know where the mystery is headed the stakes are quite high right now Uh, yeah i sean phillips is the artist and yeah like really great mystery story um and then my other one is a brand new this is the second year of on fade out and my other best mystery is brand new actually called black magic by greg rucka who's one of everyone's favorite comic writers if you are Mm -hmm. a fan of awesome feminist uh like comics and stuff um Black Magic is a witch noir, um, which is about, a, it's like a mystery and a very noir feeling, but in like, it feels like it's set in Salem, Massachusetts, basically. The main character is a witch. The art is is um, 
by, uh, oh my gosh, this is so bad, I had it in my notes. Like Magic. It's spelled M-A-G-I-C-K, by the way, because they've done a ton of research into magic itself. So hopefully it will respect, I feel like so far it sounds like people who have that sort of religious orientation have found it to be respectful. Sorry, yes, Nicola Scott, der, yeah, Nicola Scott does the art. She's a wonderful artist. Um, and this is her best yet. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I don't know who done it. Haven't a clue. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I like, uh, I, I think Fade Out and Black Magic are really, really good. Um, I would also add in Plutona, which is uh, Jeff oh. Lemire doing Stand By Me with su- superheroes. So we've like found the body, but we don't know where the body came from. Um, so that's kind of up in the air. So I, I kind of put that in like a mystery detective thing. Um, and I, just because I can't think of where the hell else to put it, um, it's definitely, I think the best graphic novel I read, it's actually a real, uh, event called Mike's Place, a true story of love blues and terror in, in Tel Aviv about a bombing of a bar, um, that was also covered in a documentary called Blues by the Beach, um, to me, it's the most haunting graphic novel or comic that I've read of the year. And while it doesn't isn't really a mystery detective, it, it does use a lot of that build up, um, kind of leading into the event, even though you know it's there. So, um, oh. part of the it's not even like the mystery because you know what's going to happen is you know these suicide bombers, like what led it led it up to that point. Um, so sort of fits on a, like a very periphery, um, just. To this day, that the graphic novel sticks with me. I think it's one of the best things I read uh, the entire year. Uh, next, we've got a little lighter note: uh, best new tween comics to keep Ms. Marvel company, because I'm sure everybody's yeah. already reading Ms. Marvel. Um, so these are some new ones you should check out: Princeless, Raven, the Pirate Princess. You've probably heard us talk about it. Awesome pirate girls, all female cast, diverse and funny and spirited, and your kids will love it. Um, I do. Zodiac Star Force uh, from Kevin Panetta and Paulina Ganuccio, I think. Um, It's sort of inspired by Sailor Moon. I didn't grow up reading Sailor Moon, but I totally get it. It's like a magical girl story where girls transform and have powers. Um, The cast of characters is, oh my gosh, Kim was supposed to be on my list of awesome new butch characters, and I forgot her. Uh, But the cast of characters are wonderful, different girls, personalities, and um, well-written teen dialogue and it didn't, it's the kind of thing that could feel very rote and it doesn't, it feels very imaginative and fun. Um, and then Gem and the Holograms with Kelly Thompson and Sophie Campbell. Um, I grew up watching the Gem and the Holograms TV show and I was ecstatic to hear that these folks were doing a new comic. Um, it is about a girl band and it's the rival girl band that they're fighting against and it's like good tween, you know, tweens and up comic story, diverse cast and funny. And I think it would be like really accessible to people who don't, to girls who like don't like comics. I feel like it would really resonate with them because it's not like it's bands fighting against bands. There's not physical violence. It's like high school drama, except with rock bands, I guess. Um, but it's very good. Yeah, I, I think all those are, are solid picks. Um, definitely ones I would recommend as well. Um, Gem and the Holograms is wound up on tons of lists. Um, it's one of the the best praised comics of 2015. So 
Um, it's not just us saying it. It's a whole lot of other folks as well. Um, I think it's in like the top 20 comics, you know, scored. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. Uh, and there's none that I would really add to that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think those are all really, really good choices. Um, and next we've got Best Ongoing All-Ages Series to Keep Lumberjanes Company. So these are two comics that I think are will also be liked by folks who are even younger, um, younger than tweens. Like, I know I'm not an expert on what kids like, but I've been told that little kids even enjoy Squirrel Girl. Um, and I also want to point out that Squirrel Girl does a great job of solving problems in creative ways that doesn't even mm-hmm. involve violence sometimes, which is pretty awesome to have that happen in a superhero comic in creative ways. And it's also great to see a superheroine with thick thighs and legs. Um, Well, I think I we lost Alana, so um, hopefully she'll call back in a second, uh, where she's talking about Squirrel Girl. Uh, Squirrel, so Squirrel Girl, fantastic series. Uh, it's in its second volume. Uh, I believe the first volume maybe also debuted this year as well, uh, though it could have been last year. It, it's a really fun, really humorous series. It has a lot of self-awareness, uh, very cute. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, definitely for folks who uh, maybe not into tons of superhero comics and aren't into uh, giving superhero comics with lots of violence in it. Um, Gotham Academy was another choice of Alana. Um, can't disagree with that one. She describes it as Hogwarts with Gotham uh, and a diverse cast. So, um, yeah, check that out. It's it's a great series. I think it's really, really good. Um, yeah, that uh, both are, I think, really, really fantastic series overall. So, um yeah. Um. Arowana is calling back, and here we go. Hopefully, she'll be back in a second. Um, so next we've got a really, really fun category, but I kind of need her for that because this one is all her idea and I really, really like it. Uh, best go ongoing all ages series. I, it's not really an all ages one, but it's definitely one I would give to, um, kids in their young teens, like late single digits, you know, nine, 10, 11, something like that. It's Captain Canuck by, uh, Chapter House Comics. I really, really enjoy that series. Um, while there's a little bit more violence in it than, let's say, Squirrel Girl, um, there's still not the grim, dark, and brooding that you see in other comics. Um, there are some slight adult elements to it, but nothing that, like, I think a kid can't really handle. Um, so that's one I definitely would recommend for folks. Um, yeah. Hopefully Alana calls in, because this doesn't work without her. Um, 
Oh, I'll just go off of my list while we're at it. Um, while we are waiting for Alana to call back. Um, so off of my best of list, uh, I think the best superhero series of the year, not one that we were going to talk about, uh, is is Captain Canuck. I, I really thought that was a, it's a great series. Uh, it definitely uh, doesn't have the dark and gritty that um, expect in series, but um, it's one that surprised me. Alana, are you back? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Lost you there. Um, so best of all, uh, we've done best ongoing all ages, talked about Gotham Academy and Squirrel Girl. Um, yours is best arm cover that made me buy a comic. So And it had the mightiest female superhero arm I've seen on a Marvel or DC comic, so I had to buy it. Uh, the art cover is by Russell Dodderman, and the comic is very good, and people should be checking out The Mighty Thor. I also yeah. want to mention what I call the most subversive comic. Um, we only have, like, two minutes left, right, Brett? Uh, no, I extended it, so we're good to go a little oh, bit longer. Okay. okay, okay, thank goodness. I was there for a second. Okay. Um, what I put the most subversive comic is uh, Ming Doyle did a special cover for Constantine Number 1, and it has the most come-hither... Uh, comic book pose by a male character that I've seen on a mainstream comic. Like, people just don't do that that blatantly because they're convinced that uh, they're, all of their readers are straight men and that all their straight men won't buy it if that's the cover, which is probably why that cover was just the cover as a variant and not the main cover. But um, seeing that on the comic stands next to the usual tacky comic book art that everyone else seemed to be running, you know, Ming Doyle was an excellent artist, really stood out really said something, and I bet it sold incredibly well. And, of course, the comic inside is one of my favorite comics of this season. Yeah, I don't uh, normally collect variant covers, but that's one I, I wish I'd gotten. Um, best arm, I it, so it's not quite a comic-related, but I like to me, the biggest arm of, of 2015 is Furiosa in, in Fury Road. Um, it did appear in mm-hmm. comics, so I'm going to say that one counts. Um, but okay. yeah, it seemed to be a crazy. <laughs> it seemed to be a crazy uh, year for women and interesting arms, um, arms we don't know, normally see. Um, yeah. And Furiosa kind of fits into the next one based off of her uh, robotic arm. We have best character rehabilitation character who used to be offensive and now is awesome. So Cyborg um, is a DC character who was in the Justice League. He's been around for a long time, and it was always sort of creepy and sad that, like, DC's main black superhero is, a, is like, half robot and kind of desexualized and treated very weirdly. And um, I've heard a number of African-American comics geeks say that they were never really comfortable with Cyborg. There's a really great issue, um, a really great essay written by a writer who goes by the pen name of... Um, son of, of Baldwin, after Samuel Baldwin, um, that explains it. And then along comes David Walker, former podcast guest of ours, African-American comic book writer. He takes over writing Cyborg, and what comes out is an actual amazing exploration of blackness and disability and how they are responded to in America today. Um, everything that had made the comic be, and the character before, like be kind of offensive and awful was actually transformed into being kind of the point of the story. Um, you know, here we have a cyborg character who's, who's tired of people treating him 
like an object and tired of people talking down to him and not treating him like a human being. And it's just a great metaphor for, you know, the conversations that we need to have around race in this country right now. The comic is also just a really good sci-fi book. I found the last couple issues to be a bit wanting or else I would have put it on my top sci-fi list actually. But, um, but it's so wonderful to see them turn this character around. And I do have faith in the series moving forward. And I would also add that I think this shows that when you have an African-American writer writing a comic about an African-American superhero, you can get a way better result. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a great turnaround of series, I think, kind of goes with our bigger picture of uh, of uh, DC kind of getting their act together. Uh, next up, speaking of DC, we have Wedding of the Year. And I can't really uh, – actually, there's one other wedding that I can think of. Uh-huh. I was about to say, I can't think of another wedding, but nope, there was one other. Well, this could also be wedding of like the however many years. The wedding of many years. Um, so good. Batman 45, we have Alyssa and Joe. Um, lesbian wedding in a DC comic. I think there was one in Wonder Woman. Um uh, lesbian wedding, it was a racial wedding, and one of the characters, Alyssa Young, is transgender. Um, so that was super cool. Well-written, very sweet, romantic, and adult. I, I know it doesn't sound any fun when I call something adult, but trust me, it's adult in a very fun way. Yeah, 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 I enjoyed it. Um, the other wedding that happened this year was Exo Manowar. It was the only other wedding oh. I can think of, uh, which was actually it was a good issue. Uh, you know, kind of uh, you might laugh at it, but I actually think uh, it was it was a solid one. Uh, we've got cutest new confirmed couple, and there's not really other ones that I can think of, but go for it. It's Angela and Sarah again from the Angela comic I keep talking about. Um, we had suspected that they were a romantic couple before, but this year that they finally were allowed to put it into print. You know, you could say the same thing would be true for um, Harley Quinn and Ivy, but I actually don't read their comics, so I can't vouch for it. But it was nice to see two characters who had been sort of written subtextually as women in love with each other who are finally, you know, out of the closet, essentially, as comics couples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, it's great to see stuff like that. We got best lettering, which isn't something that I normally focus on. Uh, but you've, but got you've probably noticed this guy. Um, yes. Tom Neely's lettering. He's the artist and the penciler and the inker on the humans. He's really putting other books to shame. I find it really hard to look at the digital lettering on other books um, after looking at his amazing work. And he just really uses word art throughout the comic. He really shows how it can be done. Uh, yeah. So. I've got nothing to add because it's not really something I really <laughs> think about a whole lot. Uh, best thing in Secret Wars, absolutely agree with you on this one. You're going with uh, Secret Wars, Secret Loves, which is actually one of my favorite one-shots of the year. Um, I, I think it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you know, we should also say it's the best one-shot of the year. Let's add that title to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a couple of superhero romance stories, um, both happy and sad and funny and, you know, yeah, really good superhero romance stories in here. The comic sold out. It sold out a couple times, I believe. I think there's a real audience for this. Um, and it's a very fun to read standalone comic. I would like to tell Marvel, please hire 
Jeremy Whitley to do an ongoing rom-com comic about a biracial couple. Hire him to do it yesterday. Yeah, uh, the fact that he wasn't included in the uh, Marvel relaunch, I think, was one of the biggest mistakes. Um, but I know the, mm-hmm. you know he's talked to him, and, and there's been back and forth, so maybe we'll see him, uh, and that wrong will be righted uh, sooner than later. Uh, but yeah, lots of fun superhero characters in love and dealing with trials and tribulations of relationships, and um, surprisingly, like emotionally resonant when it wa- you know when it wanted to be too. Yeah, uh, so we're going back to DC from Marvel. Uh, you actually found something positive about Convergence, so why don't you go with just that one? one thing. It's kind of just one thing. I did not like the Convergence titles. I bought a lot of them and found ones by writers who I even like to be generally mediocre. The best of the bunch was Greg Rucka doing The Question. Um, yeah. And it was good. It wasn't even awesome. It was just good. And this is from a writer who's outstanding, so I think that speaks to the... Um, limits of the convergence output uh, that they had. One of my favorite writers, and the best I can say is that it was very good. Yeah, that might have um, been one of the I biggest also, flops yeah. of the year as that event as a whole. Really, yeah, the concept was cool, but there wasn't that much good stuff in it. Like, I mean, you know, Gail Simone is amazing. Her book in it was, like, good, but not great. You know, if you're going to bring in these talented people, like, let them do something really cool, you know? I think maybe the two-issue format was hard to work with or something. I don't know. Possibly. Um, we went from things that we were happy to have gone away to things that we were sad are MIA. So I'm not exactly sure, and I've been trying to find out, and I haven't heard back, and Brandon Graham, if you're listening to this, please let me know, because I have reached out. Um, he began a new series this year called Eight House Arc Light. It was part of a collection of interwoven sci-fi fantasy stories, um, and one called Arclight I just really loved. And there were two issues that came out. And I haven't heard anything else from it yet and or since. And I know that he's doing the Island Comic Magazine, which is ridiculously ambitious. So I can imagine he might not have much time, much time to do on his own comic. But I just I want to know what's happening. And I hope it gets finished because it was really wonderful, gorgeous art and um, a very interesting world he was creating. Yeah, I would love to see Arclight just be an island. I think it would be a great addition to the magazine. So um, if we at least get that, that would be cool. Um, big things this year has been diversity of characters. We've seen more styles of art, I think, than ever before in kind of mainstream comics. And a big part of that is representing women in different ways. So you've got a couple folks to highlight for that. Yeah, and the fact that there's even more that I didn't even list as saying something. Most years, everybody is drawing all their characters with the same exact body all the time, and it's stupid. Um, but we had really great diversity showing women of different shapes and sizes and men of different shapes and sizes, different faces, different things like that, in Gem and the Holograms by Sophie Campbell, who does the art on there, Squirrel Girl from Erica Henderson, and Rat Queens from Tess Fowler. Um, I really enjoy Rat Queens, and I need to catch up on that series more. But I can see from her art, like, you know, everybody's got a different shape and a different face, and it's a lot more, it's a lot richer and more realistic when you can tell characters apart from more than just their hair color, you know? Yeah, um, I I think there's just been, I, I find myself when I do reviews more and more being like, oh, one thing that really stands out is a lot. You can tell the characters apart. Um which is awesome, and I don't think we could have said that like two years ago. Uh, no. So yay, 
Um, but yeah, I feel all those, like I, the vast majority of comics don't do this. Like the vast majority of comics do not do this still, but there yeah. are multiple ones that do now, which is good. Yeah, more do, which is really really good. Um, like the the characters are much more distinctive. Um, I mean, I ragged on it. Um, totally awesome Hulk from Marvel, and I thought it was one of the most atrocious comics of the of the year. Uh, but I will say, like Frank Cho, even though everyone looked like a pinup model, they all look like different pinup models. If that makes sense. Um, <laughs> oh God. That's the <laughs> if that's the best we can say. At least uh, it wasn't the same pet-up model. Yeah, exactly. At least their faces look different. But, yeah, it uh, there was at least that going on for that series. So I think folks are, are paying more attention to it. Um, you went to a cool event that I didn't get a chance to go to. So your event of the year. Is FlameCon, which is New York and probably one of the country's first LGBTQ comics convention. Um, it's going to happen again this summer. It's very affordable. And it was just amazing to be in a comic space that was, you know, like specifically for LGBTQ fans and creators. But I also just want to say, like, in general, it's very rare to find LGBTQ spaces that are actually all of those things. Usually these people are very segregated with, like, gay men here and lesbians here and bisexual people and transgender people being ignored everywhere. And, um, and this actually was everybody in one place having a good time, which is amazing. So it was an incredible space to be in for more, more reasons than more reasons than one. And you all should come next year. Yeah, that's what actually um, I'm, I'm going to try to come up and check out because it sounds really cool. Um, I like to see it for myself, so uh, hopefully I get a chance to check it out next year. And it's this very year. affordable, guys. Like you can you can afford to go to this. It was like forty bucks or something like that. So. Yeah, uh, and one I always I always have to uh, give props to is um, this year's uh, SPX Small Press Expo. I think it's a fantastic mm. convention. Um, really, really cheap. We're talking like $15 to get in, and you're going to see books that you just won't see in any other comic book shop. So um, always love it. I mean, I go to tons of conventions and have fun at all of them. Every single one has its... Uh, uh, bright spots, but um, yeah, those are two you should check out. Uh, best colorists? Oh, yes. So there's a couple of people who everybody knows. One of them is Matt Wilson, who does Wicked and the Divine and Paper Girls, and his stuff is gorgeous. But not enough people are talking about Christina Colantes, who did the colors for the humans. She's actually going to be getting her own artist title uh, very soon, but she contributed a huge amount to making that book awesome. Uh, colorist, I always go with Jordi Belair. It seems like what everyone goes to mm. for all the awards. Um, she does fantastic work, and she seems to be everywhere. Um, yeah, she does. She's prolific. Um, comics most in need of a revamp launch and a fucking men to your choice. Wonder Woman <laughs> is not a comic anybody wants to read. It's being run by a guy. It sounds like he's done a lot of sketchy things. I'll be posting about that later. Um... And uh, DC is, doesn't seem like they're going to fix it. And uh, it's really sad because she's going to be in the new movie and everybody's going to be looking for something good from her and they're not going to be getting it. I think something good will come. Um, I'm, I'm pretty convinced mm-hmm. something good will come. Um, we'll, we'll hear from it soon, hopefully. Um, for things else to watch out for, you've got an up-and-coming artist to watch out for. Yeah, Paulina Ganuccio, who's done some work for Boom Comics before, but her own title, Zodiac Star Force, uh, Dark Horse is just lovely. Um, I just know that she's going to be big. I just know she's going to be big. You know how you can tell? Yeah. Like, I oh, knew yeah. Erica Henderson was going to be Erica Henderson before Erica Henderson was Erica Henderson. 
So you got to trust me on those people. <laughs> You'll get a commission from her now while you can still afford it. Because soon she will be out of your grasp. Yeah, Zodiac uh, Star Force has got a nice little place in my heart because it's been written by uh, a guy who works at one of the local comic shops here in D.C. So um, oh. it's awesome to see it. Um, oh, and and that, she's from down by you too, actually. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a series that I picked up at SBX. Now the reason you should go because you get all the really cool stuff that everyone else eventually picks up. Um, you can find the stars of tomorrow today. Uh, so best merchandise. <laughs> uh, with this one, oh I'm not, I didn't even know about. Yes, so that's because you're not on Tumblr. And if you were on Tumblr, you would know about the Wicked and the Divine and Bitch Planet uh, nail wraps, which means that, like, there's those rub-on stickers that you put on your nails that, like, last a while. It's like a printed design, and they're for comics, okay? So, so many of the comics merchandise items are just assumed that everybody who's reading the comics is just another dude. Um. And uh, these ones definitely speak to a comics publisher image, realizing the diversity of their audience and also giving us something that I'd really like to buy. Yeah, so the one that I was missing, um, and a little irritated, I know the Gem and the Holograms uh, movie sucked, but there was supposed to be like a makeup line that was going to come out from it that they announced that I don't remember seeing Mm -hmm. anywhere. It did, it did. It did come out, but it had nothing to do with the comics. No, I know, yeah. Yeah, they did branded hair dye. They did make up a branded hair dye, but the movie was yeah. such a bummer. They they should have really based it all on the comics. Still want to see the movie because I like watching a train wreck. Um, not really, uh, not really comic related. I do find it really fascinating. That there's a line of Star Wars makeup um, that's out. I just it just fascinates me for some reason. Um, yeah, the the best merchandise I I have to go with my gaming self and my really game geek, and I'm getting sucked into it. Is there's a Batman miniature game from an Italian miniature game company called uh, Night Models, and um, huh. love it. That uh, um, yeah, it's uh, I it's it's really amazing miniatures. I've loved their the minis that they've done, but they've actually have a game for it too, and they're spinning that out in Spider Man as well. Um, so if you're into like 40k type games and you want it to be comic based, check it out. The rules seem pretty good. Um, and I'm just in the process of painting my minis up when I'm not reading comics. Um, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a lot. We've we've gone through a hell of a lot for uh, 2016 or 2015. Um, we're really looking forward to 2016, uh, and we're, we'll do a whole other show. Um, on on stuff we're looking forward to for 2016, and maybe throwing uh, a little bit of what we missed in 2015 that we need to go back and check out. Uh, so you'll be able to check that out in a future episode. Um, but we've also got our Jonesy for Jessica that's going to be up um, uh, next episode should be relatively soon. We It'll are be this final, week, but I don't know which day yet. Yeah, yeah, this, this yeah, week, but I'm not sure which day. Trying to nail it down, so you can check it out. Uh, blog Talk Radio um, slash Graphic Policy. We'll have the the next one up, and uh, next week we've actually have a normal, air quote normal uh, show of Graphic Policy Radio. This one with uh, Jody Hauser, who is part of the team that's going to be doing Faith from Valiant Comics, which is one of the comics we're really looking forward to in 2016. Uh, that also will get posted up in a day or so for you to check out. So lots 
on tap for 2016 already. Um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, for everything that we discussed, we'll have a nice post up this week. And, of course, you can go back and listen to our uh, show on demand. It'll be up on Blog Talk Radio a little bit after this ends, as well as iTunes and Stitcher. And then it will be downloaded and posted on SoundCloud where you can take it on demand and listen to it when you like or share it with folks. Please share it with folks. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. Um, really, really appreciate it. Until next time, you can catch us at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. It's been an awesome 2015. On to an even better 2016. Um, until next time, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. And keep it geeky. <laughs>